Welcome to GYN Corner with Dr. McDaniel, all things health-related for women. Good morning, this is Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner. I'm a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist in New York City, and I'm bringing to you all things health-related for women. Thank you for joining me at the corner today. And let's see, please, if you did not see the previous presentation on is it an ectopic or is it a miscarriage, please check that one out because this one is a part two for that topic. So I went into great detail previously at the last presentation, I went into great detail about the blood work to determine if the pregnancy looks like it's appropriate for how far long the menstrual cycle says the patient is or not. So in brief, <clears throat> when someone is pregnant, we use their menstrual cycle to determine how far along the pregnancy is. So we call it menstrual dating. And uh, we get a urine pregnancy because that's just a qualitative yay or nay to confirm that they're really pregnant. And then we use the menstrual date. So the first day of the last menstrual cycle, we use that to calculate according to the current date that we're seeing them, how far along the pregnancy is. And this information I'm adding, from, uh, I didn't say this in the previous presentation, I'm adding it today. Uh, so it's called Nagel's Rule. We all have a little, it's this, it's a little wheel, called a, um, a gestational wheel or obstetrical calculator. So we just put in the first day of the last menstrual cycle and the wheel will automatically tell us according to the date that we're seeing the patient, how far along the pregnancy is. But you can also do it in your head. It's called Nagel's Rule. So we just take whatever the first day of the last menstrual cycle was, say um, April 1st, we subtract three months from that date, and then we add seven days. So I probably should have picked an easier date, but if we say April 1st, and then we subtract three months, that's gonna be January 1st. So, yep, so March, February, January. So that's gonna be January 1st, and then we add seven days, so it's gonna be January 8th. Which I just did that without thinking about it, but that's gonna be what it is. So if the first day of the last menstrual cycle was April 1st, then the expected date for delivery, this wheel says uh, January 9th, but it, well, yes, because, well, no, Jan this wheel says January 9th, but sometimes the wheels are a little bit warped, but a good uh, ballpark is to just add seven days after you subtract it three months. Nagel's rule, so that's gonna give us a, a, an expected due date. And obviously, um, if the last menstrual cycle is April 1st, and then we're seeing her a month from now, we're gonna say she's four weeks pregnant. Uh, realistically, that's assuming that she has predictable cycles every four weeks if she ovulates earlier or later or her cycles only come say they come every three weeks or they only come every eight weeks then that that uh, rule is not going to apply because it's assuming an ovulation or an expected fertilization time frame that didn't occur be that as it may all things being uh, normal the um, expected ovulation date will always be about two weeks after the last menstrual cycle, so it's a nice approximation. <clears throat> now, uh, I spoke last presentation about how we draw the blood. It's called HCG, or human chorionogonadotropin. We draw that blood, and that blood is a measure of the pregnancy hormone, which is the HCG, 
that hormone actually does not come from the fetus. It comes from the placenta. The immature placenta is what um, produces that hormone. And we use it to gauge the appropriateness of the growth of that pregnancy. So as the pregnancy appropriately grows, that hormone will appropriately rise. And on average, it should approximately double every two to three days. So if someone comes in and they tell us that they're seven to eight weeks pregnant based on their menstrual cycle, and uh, we draw the quantitative HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone, gives us a number, we can get a ballpark for that pregnancy to see if the hormone is appropriate for how far along her menstrual cycle is telling us she should be. Now, we can't use it to tell us exactly how far along the pregnancy is because the range is extremely broad. So if someone's seven to eight weeks, we can only use it as a minimum number. So if they at least have a minimum uh, number for that hormone, then that will tell us that looks appropriate for how far along the pregnancy should be can't use it as an absolute. So if someone's seven to eight weeks, that hormone number should at least be around 2,000. Maybe 1,800, but at least 2,000. And on average, I would expect it to be around 2,500 to 3,000. But if I see 2,000, then I'm going to say it's appropriate for, for seven weeks. Now it could be all the way up to 15,000 or 17,000 and still be just seven weeks. So we can't use it as an absolute, but we can use it as a minimum. So it should be around 2,000. If we get that hormone number back and it's only, <clears throat> sorry, 900, that's too low for 7,000 in anybody's book. So then I'm gonna tell her, this hormone's a little bit low for seven weeks. You may only be five weeks and what we'll see on ultrasound or sonogram at five weeks is very different than seven weeks. So I'll tell her to please come back in two to three days. We'll redraw the blood to see if it's rising appropriately or if it's dropping or if it's just staying stagnant. So if she came in at 700, we repeated in two to three days and now it's 3000, then that's appropriate. Looks great. I'm gonna tell her you're probably only six weeks now but we'll do the sauna because now we have an expectation of what we should see but if we had the first blood and it was 700 we repeat it and now it's 400 then we know that doesn't matter where the location is it's miscarrying so we keep monitoring it until it's negative if the initial was 700 and now we repeat it two to three days later and it's only a thousand that's not an appropriate growth pattern, so now we have a problem. It's either a miscarriage or it's an ectopic. At 1,000, we don't actually expect to see a fetus with a heart beating. We might see a gestational sac, but we should expect it to be empty because that's a little bit low. On average, we should see um, a gestational sac with or without what we call a fetal pole around 1,200. MIUs for the HCG. So a thousand is on the low side. We may just see a gestational sac. So once we know we have around 1200, we should be able to see a gestational sac, which is just a little tiny bag of water. It'll be around, around four to six millimeters, extremely tiny. Um, 
when we do the sonogram for the pregnancy, if someone is under five weeks, we shouldn't see anything. We should just see that the tissue inside the uterus, we call that the endometrial echo, the tissue inside the uterus should be thickened. So on average, it should be around five to seven millimeters or so. If we know someone's pregnant and they should be around four to five weeks, then that tissue should be maybe nine to 12 millimeters. So it should be thickened and fluffy looking, but we don't expect to see an actual pregnancy, but we will see a thickened endometrial echo or lining. Now, if they're five weeks, we should see a gestational sac. And that gestational sac, which is the bag of water, <clears throat> even though, excuse me, <coughs> even though the pregnancy or the fetus itself is too small to actually see that fetal pole is what we call it, we should see the bag of water. Now, when we see the bag of water, it should have features. It should have a response to the pregnancy hormone and that very immature placenta starting to invade the tissues. We call that a decidual reaction because the very immature placenta is called a, the decidual um, chorionic villus and the, the lining is called the decidual lining or the deciduum. So we should see the, the effects or the, um, yeah, the effects um, of the chorionic villus, which is the immature placenta, invading into that deciduum, which is the lining of the uterus. So that decidual reaction or the response of the deciduum is what we'll see uh, reflected on the ultrasound or the sonogram. What we should see is we should see a very tiny little bag of water, and then we should see almost like a halo, a halo, a very bright, responsive, um, we call it a hyper, hyperactive response uh, on the sonogram. So we'll see the, the grayish thickening of the lining, the endometrium, or which is the deciduum if she's pregnant. Then we'll see that tiny bag of water and we'll see a very bright halo around that bag of water. You should always see that halo or the decidual reaction. If you don't see the decidual reaction, then what you may be assuming is the bag of water or the gestational sac is actually just a collection of fluid or blood. We call that a pseudo sac, pseudo meaning fake, so it's a fake gestational sac. That's a huge clue. I'm gonna end the presentation right here because I'm trying to keep these presentations into bite-sized chunks. Uh, so 10 minutes or less. So uh, this is part two of, is it an ectopic or is it a miscarriage? Thank you for joining me today at GYN Corner. This is Dr. McDaniel. Please hit the like, follow, or, and or subscribe buttons if you enjoy the content that I'm presenting. Please uh, put in a message or uh, comments on future presentations that you'd enjoy hearing. And uh, please also put in a comment or a message to let me know which aspect of each presentation you enjoyed the most so I can know which types of things to feature in future presentations. And check out the Facebook, the YouTube, and the podcast. We're on all of the platforms for potential podcasts that you, podcasts that you can imagine. Thank you very much for your attention. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.
for joining Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner, all things health-related for women. Please subscribe and join us again soon for another episode.